Happy day, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. If you're tuning in for the first time or for the first time in a while, the focus of my podcast is information that I share on my website blog. So how do you find my blog? From your favorite web browser, navigate to my website, www.copperrangellc.com and click blog. It appears along the top of the landing page for my website. If you access my site on a mobile device, click the three-line menu icon, which is usually in the upper right. My blog posts have the great photos behind the story, so you definitely want to make a stop to the webpage so you can check those out. Also on my website, copperrangellc.com, you can also view all my images. You can learn about me and you can keep up with my art show schedule. At my art shows, you'll find my work for purchase. It's a great way to shop my photography in person and to meet me. You can also shop safely and easily online. Just click the buy icon on any photo that you see on the website and you'll be on your way to an easy and safe shopping experience and you can join the ranks of my collectors. So today's podcast is titled, Life is Better with Birds. It seems birds have always delighted people all over the world. They're beautiful, powerful, engaging, and make a lot of us really kind of curious. Bird watching or birding, the observing of birds either for fun, science applications, or other professional purposes, is an incredibly popular activity, and it's one of the fastest growing outdoor activities. It seems we love the beauty of birds and are often amazed at their flying skill, their way of life and survival, and the power of their flight. I think it's fair to say that dedicated wildlife photographers that include birds in their craft are also birders, and me included. I have learned a lot from birders. In my newest podcast today, I'm excited to talk with Jay Shepard, a Vietnam veteran a career ornithologist with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, a fellow in the American Ornithological Society, someone who has birded in all 50 states, and more recently, in my experience and how I came to know Jay, has been leading tours to observe short-eared owls on a Maryland property slated for commercial development. So Jay is certainly a birder but he's also a bird scientist and dedicated conservationist, in my opinion. In addition to his 23-year career as an ornithologist with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, again, that's the United States Fish and Wildlife Service, in retirement, Jay wrote a nearly 500-page life study of the Lacantes Thrasher, which is a bird found in the desert southwest. Jay's study was published by the Organization of Western Field Ornithologists and can be purchased from them, or it's actually also available on Amazon. And there are links in my blog post to where you could purchase that or where you can learn more about that, uh, that monograph that Jay published. I'm excited to have Jay on the podcast today. You know, listen in to hear from someone who has dedicated his life to the study and conservation of birds and their habitats. He's seen a lot. He's done a lot. And, you know, before we get started, since everyone may not know what an ornithologist is, here's the definition. 
An ornithologist is someone who studies ornithology, which is the branch of science devoted to birds. Ornithologists study every aspect of birds, including bird songs, flight patterns, physical appearance, and migration patterns. Let's talk with Jay. Welcome, Jay. You have been watching, studying, and following birds for decades, and you had a career focused on birds. What interests you most about birds? I'm interested in everything. I don't care what it is. Migration, nesting behavior, breeding displays, song, social interactions, predation, either as the victim or as the predator, diet or food, ectoparasites, molt, territorial and population dynamics, as well as the more esoteric taxonomy and evolutionary trends of either groups or species or of birds. So there's there's nothing I am not really, really interested in as far as uh, a living, breathing bird. You've been organizing short-eared owl tours at the Conterra, Maryland private property for a few years. And for folks who don't know what this is, this is a large partial of land that's um, in private ownership. It's slated for commercial development and located in Prince George's County, Maryland. And you're going to hear, Jay will actually be referring to it as PG County. That's Prince George's County, Maryland. So Jay has been organizing these short-eared owl tours for a few years. Um, I've been on these tours and it's been really amazing and instructive and I've loved it. And so I have a few questions for you, Jay, about this. Um, first, how do you describe Conterra? Conterra is uh, a very interesting place. Uh, we sort of called it the PG Prairie, Prince George's Prairie, uh, only because it's probably the only thing that comes close <laughs> in metropolitan PG County. It's 400 acres of fields, and you usually don't find 400 acres of totally wide open fields. Uh, usually find a house or three, if not many houses or something, and just hard to find a field that size, at least around PG County. Yes, rare to find a parcel of land that size that's undeveloped in this Washington metropolitan region. So how did you discover Conterra, Maryland? A uh, birder found a rough-legged hawk in February 2015, and that drew a lot of birders and me. And shortly uh, thereafter, we found short-eared owls were discovered uh, in the same place. Both species are uncommon here in winter, and so uh, you know, it became a, a magnet of sorts uh, this close into the Maryland uh, suburbs of Washington and even Baltimore to have both species in the same spot. Uh, I learned that I, or I later determined that I knew the owner. And so I went over and asked him if I could get permission to go on to his posted property. And he granted it. And I'm allowed to take groups in, if or anybody in, with me. 
Nobody's allowed to go in bird watch on their own. It just that's just the rules he laid down. I I'm not gonna argue one way or the other. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I've been on these short eared owl tours and it's actually and I did see a few and photographed a few, but even as equally interesting to me is uh, this is a location where I saw my first Harriers, Northern Harriers, and I photographed them. And I have some beautiful photographs of Northern Harriers that are out on this property as well. And I actually this fall uh, helped Jay and a few other folks do some cleanup out at Conterra, um, took out some some invasive trees and trees that were making mowing a little difficult in the, on that property. So, uh, Jay, how many people have joined the Conterra tours? I know that when I went on them, there was always, with each tour I went on, there was more and more people at each tour. So how many, uh, how many people have joined the Conterra tours? We have taken uh, 250 some odd numbers of individuals into Conterra last winter on a total of 550 visits. In other words, most people went at least twice. And that was in just two dozen or so tours that I organized to look at the short-eared owls. So far, the short-eared owls have not turned up this year, so we haven't had any tours yet. Right. So in 2021 so far, no short-eared owls have been seen. Uh, There have been some other bird sightings out there. Again, the Harriers are still out there. There's some kestrels out there um, as well. Uh, the real draw, the short-eared owls, not yet. I remember from last year, they, when I went out, it was a little bit later in the, in the winter. So perhaps we will get to see some short-eared owls later um, or in early 2022. So Jay, um, do you expect that the Conterra, uh, property will be developed someday? As for when it's going to be developed, who knows? I certainly don't. The developer's just starting to come up with some work plans that'll commence this winter, as I understand it. But uh, he hasn't really told me his total plans and when it's going to be developed. Probably sometimes sooner rather than later. What makes the uh, Conterra property good habitat for the birds and other wildlife that live and migrate there? This very large expanse of open fields is what makes this such an interesting place. Uh, the, the meadows, the fields are just teeming with thousands and thousands of meadow voles and other small critters, grasshoppers in the summer, things of that sort that attract the the various predators. It's not unusual to see a half a dozen harriers, uh, several red-tailed hawks, some red shoulders, and even an occasional bald eagle, although they're not interested in the voles, uh, flying around these fields. I think I know the answer, but um, I'm going to ask anyway. What, what can those of us uh, who benefit from birding and bird photography do to support the Conterra habitat? Well, since this is a private development area, uh, it's not much anyone can do about uh, preserving it or or supporting uh, the conservation of this habitat. Unless, of course, you happen to have a 
few zillion dollars to spare that you could just snap it up because it's located right next to the main interchange of the intercounty connector at I-95. Uh, I don't know what the land is valued at, but it's it's not cheap. People sometimes ask me if I have a favorite bird because I have photographed so many birds. It's always very hard for me to answer. Sometimes I have a favorite bird right then and there or for a season. I was curious, Jay, do you have a favorite bird? You've seen a lot of birds. My favorite birds are sort of hard to enumerate because I do like virtually everything. I mean, I do like my little Lacoste Thrasher that I did my graduate research on out in California and later published a monograph on. But I like our little northern sawwet owls, or all owls for that matter. I've studied a little bit of black rails, Smith's long spurs back in Ohio. I don't know. There's just so many to enumerate. I like them all. I hear you, Jay. I feel exactly the same way. I like them all. They're all my favorites. We are coming into winter season in our area. You have a helpful post on your personal Facebook page about laying down a tarp when it snows to create a bare patch of grass for birds. Can you describe this and why it's helpful for birds as well as birders? I can certainly describe this uh, tarp situation. It's really fairly simple. I lay out a large tarp just before it starts to snow. I might have to drop some bricks or stones or logs on the corners to keep the wind from blowing it away until the snow buries it. But then after the snow ends, uh, it's, you can either clear it off depending on how deep the snow is or just simply peel it back if it's only a couple of inches of snow and you end up with a pristine patch of lawn, uh, in my backyard at least, on which to scatter seed for the doves, sparrows, and other ground-feeding birds. I personally use a 15 by 20 tarp. There is a long period of snow falling, during which the snow is falling. I may peel back a corner or to feed the birds during the day for an hour or two before it gets covered up with the snow. This bear patch is a world of, in, in a world of snow, is visible to birds flying high overhead. So it really brings them into your yard. Besides hundreds of blackbirds and dozens and dozens of doves and sparrows, I've had some unusual birds for the suburb show up. In my small backyard, I've had meadowlarks, rusty blackbirds, and savannah sparrows on several occasions, and those are species that had to have flown a mile or three or more from wherever they had been before the snow. So I'm definitely going to use this tip. It's, you know, it's been a few years since we've had heavy snow in the D.C. region, but I recall several years ago during our snowmageddon or snowpocalypse, I think that's what it was called, where we had feet of drifting snow in our yards and days of snow in our patios and we were throwing seed out on the to on top of several feet of snow so the birds could get some food. You know, laying down a tarp that you can just kind of peel back once the snow has stopped is a is a really great tip to help get that crucial winter food to birds, really when they need it. 
So, Jay, what um, you've birded in all 50 states and Canada, uh, which means you've seen some amazing bird life, I would say, I would think. So what's the most unusual or unexpected encounter you've had? I've just seen a lot of interesting things over the decades. Interesting behaviors. Uh, watched an eagle swim ashore uh, after grabbing a injured gull. Swam a couple hundred yards uh, up onto the beach, dragging the, the gull that it captured. Um, <clears throat> just so many things to think about. What an incredible thing to witness. Wow. So just a couple more questions, Jay, and they uh, refer to uh, any tips that you might give to birders. So first, uh, what tips, if any, would you give to new birders? Beginning birders uh, need to get out uh, with other birders that will help you learn uh, to identify how to identify the birds, where to look. But you also need to spend time by yourself chasing down birds that you hear calling in the bushes, etc. Uh, I've only learned songs by repeatedly having to chase down the same uh, Carolina wren or chickadee or whatever it was. Uh, having people tell me, oh, that's a Carolina wren or a Blackburnian warbler or Blackpole warbler singing over there. Uh, that just song went through one ear and out the other. And I really barely learn songs uh, that way. I really had to go on my own and oh, I hear something, I don't know what it is, find it and identify it and say, oh, that's what's singing. Okay. Do that a few times and you'll eventually remember. Uh, I also, you want to use at least eight power binoculars. I would strongly recommend for most people to get 10 power. Uh, that's what most serious birders are using these days. I have uh, several suggestions for uh, people who like birds or birding, but primarily since this is approaching winter and another 10 days or so, week, uh, if you like to feed the birds, try to f feed at a constant amount per day or week, put out the same amount of food from October through April and only increase the amount during really severe weather. In other words, don't put out feed seed only after or during the middle of a storm, snowstorm. Birds learn where it is easy to find food uh, during good weather. And then when the bad weather uh, shows up, they go straight to that spot to find uh, more assured supply of something to eat. One can feed all year long too, but most important is feeding from first frost to last frost. Second item would be to make sure your bird feeders are squirrel proof. If they're on a pole, make sure it's covered with flashing or a baffle to keep them off the feeders. Make sure the feeder is away from all nearby perches for the squirrels. The rule is very simple, five, seven, nine. That is five feet from the ground, seven feet from the side, and nine feet from any overhead, overhanging structure. Now that covers only about 90 to 95% of the squirrels as these fuzzy tree rats are pretty good at jumping. So you need to add just a little bit more to make them about 100% squirrel proof. Another way is to run a thin wire like 
aluminum clothesline wire from the house to a tree or between two trees. Uh, keep it at least eight feet off the ground so you can carry ladders and do other things underneath it without impaling yourself or endangering uh, the kids. And you, from that wire, uh, you drop long hooks out of the same kind of wire, uh, which from which you then hang the feeders themselves. So the feeders are now about head high. Now, if you have cats prowling your yard, uh, unfortunately, there are a lot of feral cats uh, in the suburbs. And some of us, especially if we're doing a lot of bird feeding, seem to attract not only the exhibitors, but also cats. There is one way to keep the cats from pouncing on the birds. You need to find a roll of four inch chicken wire, which comes in 36 inch width. And you cut that down the middle to make it only 18 inches wide. Then you use each piece to encircle the area that you toss your seed into, or you can put the, the wiring around the front side of all the bushes and any other cover, uh, say a porch or whatever, that the cats like to hide under. I then take half inch wooden dowels and simply poke them down through the wire and into the ground to hold it there. This is not a, a fence fence to keep animals from running in and out. And a person can easily step over the wire, but uh, uh, jump it. The cats can jump it. But uh, when they land, <laughs> there are no birds still on the ground. They're all gone. Just the cat jumping over the wire is enough to frighten all the birds. And within, I've had them within 48 hours. I've had cats in my backyard a number of times. Within 48 hours, they totally give up and will not even bother with chasing the, the uh, birds in your yard. Now the four inch mesh is important because that allows the doves uh, in particular, as well as other birds, just walk right through the fencing. I'm afraid doves are not really intelligent. I've seen them land outside the fence, and if it's too small a mesh, they'll walk back and forth and back and forth on the fence uh, side, away from the feed, and never figure out how to jump over the fence and into where the feed is located. Great tips, Jay. So for our final question in the podcast today, what tips, if any, would you give seasoned birders? For the seasoned birders, uh, I think we really need to help our youth. We've got to get the preteens and teens out there learning the joys of birding, the outdoors, as they will be the ones who inherit and preserve what we have conserved in our generation, in our lifetime. If no one's around in 50 years who wants to see woods, marshes, and wildlife, then it will all vanish. I really would hate to pass on a world of nothing but mowed lawns, asphalt, and concrete to later generations. I mean, that, I mean, I can't envision a world where it's, you know, concrete between here and San Francisco and 
no trees or patches of grass, I mean, other than mowed lawns. Got to get the young people involved. If they're not interested, nothing will be preserved and everything will be dug up and mowed over. I couldn't agree more, Jay. If our younger generations, if our youth don't understand the purpose and the value in our wild places and in our wildlife, they are at great risk of disappearing. Thank you, Jay, for joining the podcast today. The birding knowledge, information, and opportunities you share with others is an invaluable contribution to species preservation and conservation. I have several links on my blog providing resources and information on birding, including some of the topics that Jay shared today. You can find Jay on Facebook, and his birding lists are also up on eBird as well. Remember to stop by my website, www.copperrangellc.com, to view my images, read the free blog, and download free podcasts like this one. Thank you so much for listening today. Have a great day. 